There we go. Father Michael. Yes. I have been after Donna and Joanne for 50 years to get our choir to sing Christ is Risen in Arabic. How did you finally get that done? Hey, well, it started out my first year when we were outside and we sang, we are supposed to sing the Christ is Risen three times. And there's a slow version and there's a fast version. The slow version is, oh, Christ is risen from the... The fast one is, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down, death by death. That one you do like four or five times. And so after my first year, I said, you got to learn the fast one. And that's when I think they started practicing the Greek and the Arabic, right? We just did the Arabic this year, and I actually brought it, because we are struggling with the words yet. So yeah. I brought it. You said you'd you help me. It. All right. <laughs> Yeah, Morning, we, did we did it a couple times, Alan, but they do it so fast that I'm not hearing exactly how to pronounce the words, and I actually brought the music for him to teach me <laughs> the words today. So I didn't have to push them. They must have been ready to accommodate you finally. All right. We are in the middle of the Beatitudes. We're in Matthew 5, and where did I mark? Let's see. We did seven, right? Or we did, yeah, seven. We did seven? we did seven, yeah, yes. Yeah, we were just going to. No, we did eight, too, I think. No, right? I, we must have. All I had yeah, purity. purity. We did purity. Oh, there we, we go. We did purity. All right. Um, just to give us again some context before we get into it in, in specifics and detail, um, a couple of things. We talked about how this whole scene has been set up as, in many ways, like um, uh, a parallel to Moses going up the mountain and getting the commandments. Only the difference here is instead of thou shalt, we're hearing blessed are. I wanted us to talk just for a few minutes about that change and what that might mean. Why would God go from a, a thou shalt to blessed are? And those of you that are parents, think through the raising of your children. How are you? Welcome. Come on in. How are you? Hi. Hi. Any thoughts going from thou shalt to blessed are those who? Well, thou shalt is more a, more of a command and blessed are is, I think, recognizing um, those that do. I mean, that, that's my opinion. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts? Those of you that have raised kids, when you had little kids, how did you give them instruction? What kind of things did you say? Do this, do this right? Do this, don't do that, right? As they got older and they kept asking you this question, what was the question they kept asking you as they got older? Why? Why, 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 why? <laughs> 
did you say? You said because this is why. Because this is good and because this is not so good for you. So if you think about it in that way, there's really, as I said this before, there's very little that's new in the New Testament other than the audience. It's a new audience. And it's a new way of addressing that audience. But the content is not all that different. In fact, some, some would go as far as say there is no difference in the preaching of the New Testament versus the Old. That's extreme, but I think you can make the argument. But what you can definitely say is when we go from a thou shalt to blessed are you when. What's that? That's the why. Like the, the parents telling the kid, that's the why. In other words, yeah. The, the, in other words, the kids are a little more grown up. So there, you you talk to you know you talk to a twelve year old different than a two year old, right? So what's different here is that there's a little more um, expectation because there's more capability. You don't expect something of a little kid that's not fair to expect. You wait till they're older, then you expect a little more. Now the reason I'm saying this to you now is, is we're going to see this played out in a little bit um, in several weeks when we get to. You have heard it said, and then he'll quote the Old Testament law, but I say to you this, and we'll see how that's really, in other words, this is, this is not a reduction of expectation, it's actually an increase in expectation. We'll get to that as we get to that section. In, in five, five two, it says, then he began to speak and taught them, saying. There you go. Providing a lesson. Right. That were gathered on the mountain. There you go. Another good example of it. Okay, so let's continue on. We're in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What we've done with each of these is we've said, okay, what's What's obvious of why that, that sort of makes sense and what's surprising about it? So let's go to the obvious. What's, what's just sort of, oh, that makes sense. I get it. Why would peacemakers be called sons of God? Why would that make sense? Because Christ came as a peacemaker. Right, good. So there's going to be a connection, and we'll see this more and more as, as, the, as this sermon and the whole book goes on, that what he's instructing them to do is what he does. Very good. Other ways of why that makes sense? Because it goes beyond distinctions and, and approaches closer to love, which God is love. Does that make any sense? Good. Okay. So close to love. By the way, everybody, this is John. You can't see him. He's stage right of the camera. <laughs> lean, lean in. You can see if you lean in. Look, 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 look. No, we still can't. No, no, farther. <laughs> you can see her other side. I can come around the other side if that's okay with you. Yeah, come on over. Father? Yes. Um, the, um, you know, the Old Testament prophesied um, Christ as uh, the Prince of Peace, and um, there are other, you know, uh, references to, um, you know, the peace that the angels gave to the people anytime, you know, when he appeared 
uh, peace I give unto you, you know, he's a, a affiliated with peace and that uh, quality of peace. And so it would make sense that if we are his followers, we would be um, carrying on that same character quality. Great. Great. Yeah. And what's peace? I know it seems like it's an obvious question, but it's really, it's a tough answer. If you think about it, what's peace? It's internal. Can be internal. Okay, describe internal peace. I think if you truly uh, take on Christ, there is an internal peace that takes over, you know, you. Um, and I think it's something maybe many of us try to acquire and work to, toward. And I think you know, you can feel it and see it in some people. There seems to be maybe in their carriage, um, certainly in the way they speak, uh, perhaps in their calmness, you, you, you sense a peace from them and it, it sort of transfers over to you. And I think that's really what Christ was doing in his ministry on earth. He was trying to transfer that peace that, um, that I think was the embodiment of him. But Father, you know, that's internal. And, and you say there's such a connection and very little difference in the New Testament compared to the old. But I was struck uh, when I read the Bible and struck uh, the Old Testament, all the wars and how it was said that there will always be wars. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder, Christ comes to preach peace. And yet here we are, we're still in war. Um, actual battles. I'm not just talking about warring, you know, with the devil necessarily and, and the demons within us or anything or, or floating around us, but the actual physical wars, here we are. And that we really can't expect to live a life of peace, that we will always be surrounded by this, by these divisions, by this war, by these separations. I mean, it seems heightened now, but of course it was heightened in anybody's age and time, I know. Sure. So let me use a couple words I want to I want to highlight. You said calm. Peace is calm. And then you use the opposite, which is often one of the best ways of describing something is what isn't it? Peace is not battle. Peace is not war. Peace is not conflict. So there's there's calm. Uh, when bodies, people, or nations, whatever, are at peace. There's a lack of a killing. There's lack of, of conflict. There's a calm. There's a quiet to it, right? But you know, you made the point about Jesus coming and bringing peace, which is true. You, we could never say Jesus did not come bringing peace, and yet He said, "I have not come to bring peace, right? But a sword." But so, a sword. Yeah, and then He goes on. To conflict, you know, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, um, different people. So you're right that this peace is a quality of God, and yet you're also right when you say that we're always going to have it, at least in this world. Because even though he's he's bringing peace to one in one situation, but hit himself, he's going to be um, instigating other battles. Right. 
he comes and what do we do? We kill him. So we've just gone through, of course, all of Holy Week. I mean, that's until you until you get to his death, you have the absence of peace. First, it's the plotting to arrest him. Then it's arresting him in the garden. Then there's all the trials and the tortures. And um, so he brings peace. But who does he bring peace to? Believers. Right. So for those that want to be at peace with God, you're at peace. And then here he's saying, if you can make peace, you're blessed. In other words, it's a good thing to, to make peace. Now, if you read, you know, I know, you know, Subdeacon and, and Carolyn, you guys read the, the prologue every day. Other people read the lives of the saints. There are few days that pass without someone being killed violently. Mm. Yeah. Right? That too. So how do we reconcile that with God as a God of peace? Well, one thought that I had was that... Um, in the martyrs' lives, mm -hmm. uh, they look beyond the immediate physical suffering and actually embrace the joy of sacrificing because they have so much faith and belief that God is the ultimate reality and being with him is far greater than being on this earth. And um, in many cases, they even pray that God will not relieve the suffering, but will allow it to continue and increase it so that they might be able to be with him in paradise. And um, so it, it's, it's beyond my comprehension that they could get to the point where they could pray when they're drilling hole, the possibility of drilling holes in the kneecaps. I mean, it's, it's horrendous to think of, of what the torture was that they put Christians through. And the only way I think is their faith was so strong that they were already living that eternal state. Yeah. Rick, you were going to say something. Well, it's, it's just that, that uh, you know, you, you only need to look at uh, St. Stephen, the first martyr. Right where where they were stoning him, and he took took on the took on Christ when he said, you know, Father, forgive them, you know, and he during his martyrdom was forgiving those who were stoning him. So he must have had an inner peace to say that he wasn't violently thrashing about and saying these people need to be condemned and so forth and so on. He was saying, Father, forgive them. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you said it. Go ahead. So figure, sorry, figure finish. Anyway, that that's that's it. That's it, really. Yeah. So there it is. It's really a paradox, which at the heart of the the, the deepest of our teachings, you're always going to find a paradox. Right. There's nothing less peaceful than a martyrdom. Right. The one we heard this morning. Um, I'm blanking on his name. You mentioned the situation, Carolyn, that, that they were going to drill holes through his kneecaps and hang him. Alayli, um, <laughs> was the name I was familiar with? I I was not familiar with the name either. Um, I can look it up really quick. And, and then and then they you know they don't do it. They can't do it. And then they they try to drown him. And he prays 
that his suffering would be prolonged as a witness. Mm. So on the one hand, it's the most violent thing you could say, but is there anything more peaceful than a right. martyr? And it doesn't make any earthly sense. But you can you can see it. You know, Ricky mentioned St. Stephen. He looks up and he sees a vision of Christ in heaven and he's in perfect peace. Yeah. In the middle of dying this horrendous death. And yet, Father, I mean, it's so unfathomable, um, just as Carolyn was saying. But we are endowed, imbued with this um, quest for survival. Uh, I mean, God puts that in us, that we uh, do everything we can to survive. And I don't know if that seems to be somewhat in conflict or it's those who pass over into this, what I'll call other stage while still being here on earth. Yep. That maybe the sense of personal survival no longer reigns supreme on their existence. Well, I think, I think they're, they're in a state where they're thinking completely differently. They're not thinking life and death because they are assured of eternal okay. life. So I think when they're in the state of Christ, when, they're, when they are fully embracing our Lord, there is no difference between life and death. So they're thinking more like, like you said, that one saint was saying, let this be a witness to other people. So th th they're thinking of others all the time. They're not thinking of themselves. Right. Yeah, and Sue, that's such a, an important point. I never thought of this before. That's the most, that's the deepest instinct we have is to survive mm -hmm. nothing more ingrained in us mm -hmm. um, and yet here they are going deeper than that right <laughs> you know but but you're right and say so on the one hand it's that it's that desire to survive and i've made this point you know more recently because i think it's something we don't often understand enough all of our sins are connected to that survival instinct, mm. but it's a survival without God. Right. It's a survival that, you know, wants to eat more. We think we're just, we get gluttonous. Why? There's an instinct in us to eat and survive because we might not get the next meal. Even mm. if we know mentally that's not true, there's that. And, and all of our hungers, whatever they happen to be physical, emotional, whatever they happen to be, that's the deepest part of it is that survival instinct. And so when Christ comes to say, you know, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, that's the ultimate change. It's mm -hmm. the ultimate um, difference in, in what would we would think would come naturally to us. And yet you see in the saints that that survival, that spiritual survival, that, that loyalty to Christ above all things, is their deepest instinct. Yeah. Which means it's available to us. You know, I'm with Carol. I, sometimes I can't comprehend, and yet I have to hold on to not letting that be an excuse to say, well, me, you, may, you may not get it, but that's your goal. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's where all of us need to head. That's where we all need to work towards. Um, that finding that connection to God, which to circle back, is a state of peace that nobody can break. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we, we can all fall to feeling victims of our, of our circumstance, but the saints are always the witnesses that say you're never a victim of any circumstance. So in the worst circumstance, you're, you can be, have the most peace. So he says, blessed are the peacemakers, and here comes the surprising part. Why, why called sons of God? I mean, you could say followers, given honors, you'll be at peace. I mean, if you think of like, if we were writing that, bless the peacemakers, for they shall have peace. That would make sense. Yeah. Why Father, so? can I say something that just occurred to me when you said that? Yeah. Sons of God. Well, Jesus is the son of God. So we become ultimately in the, in the pinnacle sense, like him. A son of God. Yeah. Would that More be? like him than, than in anything. Right. Would that be theosis right there? Yeah. Is that theosis? So that's that becoming like God in a sense by his grace, but also by our agreement to, to do it. You know, we all feel that call to, to saintliness, and yet we all feel like, how am I ever going to do that? Right. But that is, that is given to us as a gift, but it's ours to take the action of receiving. And you're, you're right. There's, there's no higher, uh, a word doesn't work. Uh, there's no higher state. There's no higher uh, gift that God could give us than to raise us up to be his sons. Now, the, the harder question in this is what kind of peace? Because if, you know, Susie brought up the fact that all the wars in the Old Testament, I bring in the fact that Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What kind of peace is he saying? Is it just peace at all costs? Is it peace between everyone, no matter what? Because in that sense, this is always, someday we're going to watch this movie I've mentioned to you before called Silence. Um, yeah, it's a tough movie to watch. I haven't seen that yet, oh, I want to. Tough movie to watch. Yeah. It's about these Catholic missionaries in Japan. And throughout the movie, you, you can, it depicts so well how it can make so much sense to just give in. Just deny Christ. Just say the word. You don't have to believe it. Just say it. And in a sense, to make peace. Because these, you know, the government is torturing these people. Just say the words and make peace. So it's not any peace. It's not peace at all. It's Scorsese direct. What's that, Rick? Did Scorsese direct that movie? Was that yeah. Liam Neeson in there? Yes. Yeah. We did see that. that Father, that is a very difficult movie. Very uh, difficult. So hard to watch. Yeah. So what kind of peace are we supposed to be making? Well, Father, I can't help but think of the peace that passes all understanding. There you yeah. go. I mean, yeah. that's it. Yeah. In other words, it, we're, we're not just called to go out and, you know, go for the Nobel Prize. And, and I mean, the nothing great. Peace is a wonderful thing. But obviously, it's not peace at all costs. It's not peace no matter what. Or, it's, it's a peace with God. Because you think about it, mm -hmm. if the result is to be called sons of God, it's not just he's sending us out as emissaries to stop wars. You know, 
Anybody can do that. If you, if you are smart enough and you give people the right incentive, you can stop a war. But that doesn't necessarily bring peace, right? right. The kind of peace, I think right. he's talking about, we've already talked about it. It's the peace in the heart of the martyrs as they're going through their horrific suffering and yet never lose their peace. Father? Yeah. Um, the name of the uh, saint was um, Thalalius. Thalalius, there we go. And um, the comment that I'd like to make about that is that um, the two guys that were going to, you know, torture him, um, they ended up becoming blind um, and they couldn't follow through with what they were going to do. Uh, but then he prayed for um, their healing. They ended up becoming Christians and their comment was, the Lord is alive to us. And from now on, we also will be Christians. So um, the point that Rick made about the fact, uh, you know, of um, the love that's shown to others and the mercy that's shown to others um, is the result of, uh, well, you didn't say it exactly like that, but I mean, you know what, um, it's the idea of living your life for the um, sake of other people. Um, that's exactly what, you know, he did is he, he lived out that, um, that example. Yeah, and it's for the sake of other people. What's what would differentiate that from just somebody who's a good philanthropist or or a good you know humanist, somebody who just cares for people? What's what's different? That's a good point, Father, because I think people find their um, sought after salvation. Okay, I think they might have this false sense that doing some of those things you said, which we all should do, somehow is their ticket to ride. You know what I mean, Father? And um, we're supposed to do it privately. We're supposed to do it quietly. And is it for us? I know you've spoken about, and I think there's passages that the reward will be here on earth. It won't be in heaven if it's so known here on earth. Right. But I, I think that there is a big difference. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just, you you take it from there. Well, when he says, bless the peacemakers, they should be called sons of God. I think that's the answer. It's not peacemakers, so they shall be honored for having accomplished peace or they'll get awards. It's, it's God's peace. Mm. It's peace with God, first of all. Mm. And that peace with God often can't even bring about an absence of a worldly peace. Right? These saints that we keep we keep referring to, it, it was their peace with God and other people's war with God that made more violence. In other words, the, the, the martyrs, they didn't, of course, make anybody be violent. But by not giving up their faith, that fed into somebody else going, well, okay, if I'm, I'm not going to give in to faith, and so they go to war. In other words, it's, it's, not, it's, it's a peace with God, which makes sense then why those who can do it are called sons of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much. But like, Father, when you were citing like philanthropists and so on and humanists, you know, do you believe um, that that 
there is some connection within them to God to enable them to freely give of their financial resources, let's say. Are you both? Yeah, I think there are people that <laughs> follow Christ without even knowing they're following him. Right, I, yeah. I agree. That would make sense. I, I keep thinking, though, about idolatry, and I think of how easy it is to be I become idolatrous when you're when you're idol when you're idolizing the concept like peace. Yeah, you know, for some reason, that keeps running through my mind this morning. The whole thing about um, how many different gods can we can we worship? Yeah, how many ways can we distract from worshiping worshiping God? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's I, I I think there are people that don't understand in a doctrinal way or don't accept Christ in a doctrinal way, and there could be all kind of reasons that maybe they were shown a good version of Christ, and so they rejected Christ, but it was a terrible version of Him. So I think there's that, but I also think there are those that, and this might be considered the opposite. They do good things even sacrificial things but for different reasons i remember father john namey who was the first director of the antiochian village yeah. he's the first one that ever heard use this term secular humanism yeah and that really sort of it took a while for me to understand what that meant but mm -hmm. it was is a humanism in other words it was a raise up other human beings support them help them be kind do all good things but it wasn't just a humanism it was a secular humanism in other words do all that to the exclusion of including god as any part of that any motivation understanding direction and he he talked about this and i think he was a prophet in the sense that he saw it coming and i don't think for her now it's it's full blown. It's like here that the secular humanists rule. So, in other words, the the forces that would say, unless you accept everyone and everything anybody wants to do is okay. That's that's the new virtue, tolerance, accept those kind of things. So, not that we shouldn't be kind and loving. We obviously we should, but. It's the exclusion of God that some people, I think, do good things, but their motivation necessarily isn't good. So I think you have both. I think you have those that are following Christ, not knowing it, and those that are doing the things Christ said to do, but for very different motivations. I think it's a, a counterfeit uh, religion, Father, where, yeah. where Satan has, has infused this, these thoughts. People have grasped them. And I really do think it's a way of diverting their lives from God, from Christ, toward this other religion, which has its own quote unquote sacraments, if you will. Yep. And and they adhere to them strictly, even more fanatically than most fanatic faithful people. Yep. And and they do not deviate from them and they condemn you if you do not agree with them. Right. It is it is really kind of strange because they they view us people of faith as being just that people yeah. that are unbending people that are unwilling to understand sinners right but yet it's just it's it's unbelievable it's it's like a the other side of a coin if you will right 
Those it, were in the, in the Revelation class. What were the qualities of the Antichrist? Very much like Jesus. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Right? His, his number was but six I'm afraid I'll follow that guy. I'm afraid. We all are. We're, we'll be recognized. We should we'll be. be. We'll recognize the Antichrist. That's what our concern is. We, we yeah. should be. And that's the whole message. Yeah, because he'll be, yeah, he'll be, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Yeah. Right. I mean, can you imagine? Here's a guy that's going to come down to earth and he's going to be doing the miracles that Jesus did. I mean, and he's going to be all over, you know, all over TV. Yeah. And we're going to see it every day or all over the internet. And it's going to be like, holy cow, look at this guy. He raised people from the dead. Yeah. And it's going to be very tempting to, to follow that person. Yeah. And, and you would fear if you didn't. Yeah. Look at, if yeah. you rejected, yeah. right. then you'll get canceled. <laughs> or, or, or that you're the Pharisees, yeah. you know? And so what was the instruction of Revelation? We missed it. Did yeah, you give give it to us. Bobby, you broke up for us. Give us give it to us again. The instruction of revelation. Okay. Yeah, Linda said it. Keep your what eye on the wounded lamb. The one that looks like he is powerless is not. And follow him. And follow him. In other words, if they want to cancel you, let them cancel you. <laughs> if they want to kill you, let them kill you. And this connects back to our conversation with martyrs. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's nothing they can do. And, and the more we don't, that's what we don't care. The more we don't worry about it, yeah. the more we yeah. are willing to suffer for it, the stronger the witness of the lamb is going to be. And, and now, if we fight, then I think we have the chance of, of getting the message lost. That's, this is where I have some problems, some of the tactics of the culture warriors on the right. I get the motivation. The motivation is to stand for truth. I have no problem with that. But, and some of you know, I've been having this conversation with uh, my brother pastors in the area. The one thing that we keep circling back to that I keep bringing back is the Christian's job is to do the suffering, not to ask anyone else to suffer. In other words, wow. when we're talking about, let's say, racial tension. The Christian yeah. response to racism is not to penalize anyone. It's to say, I am willing to suffer because I, my trust is in God. I don't need an earthly solution. And this is where I think, you know, that the, we haven't had a good, solid Christian response yet to a lot of this racial stuff. Can I say something? Yeah. I'm well, really glad. Well, Father... Conversation. Well, Hang on, let John talk, and then we'll go to you. I'm really glad we this conversation this morning because I've been wrestling with confronting what I see as a pathological ideology or the pathology of ideology, which is I like to use. Uh, Dostoevsky wrote the book The Possessed, and that's sort of what we're looking at is ideological possession. So, how to not become an ideologue on the other side of the coin is something I've been personally wrestling with with the stuff that's been going on. Yeah, so which side are we on? We're on neither. We're on God's side. Now, we might have political yeah. feelings, nothing wrong with that, as long as we don't confuse them, because God isn't on a side. God's for everybody. What were you going to say, Rick? Well, I was going to say that, 
a short little story when when the riots happened in Grand Rapids. What the was that a year ago? Yeah. 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 So my name, my neighbor, uh, I don't know. I was texting with him, and I just said, you know, racism is a sin. It's just a sin. It's that's all it is. Yep. Period. Yep. And and guess what? He laughed at me. Wow. Why is that funny? I didn't understand why that's funny. Because he thought you were superstitious or something like that. But I, I, yeah. It's, to me, it's crazy because it is. This is such a religion that we're staring at. You know, somebody somebody can go down to the state house in Vermont, um, you know, and and bend the knee for eight minutes to a god that doesn't exist over the murder of a man in Minnesota that they had nothing to do with. Yeah, that is that is a religion. Yeah, yeah, and, and forcing you to, and, 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 and then tell oh, you yeah. that silence is violence. Right. I don't get it. I'm wrestling with this. I'm glad we're talking. About so this. so it, it's good to realize that that our answer is not which side of any debate we're going to be on. Right. Uh, you can have, again, political views are fine. But in terms of our faith, we're on God's side. We're hopefully the goal is to be the peacemaker because that's how you'll be called the sons of God. Now. What did this say? Uh, you, you made that, I think it was Alan, I can't remember who made the point. No, it was you, Rick. What did the Son of God do when he came? What happened to him? Say it again. What happened? What, what did they do to the Son of God? Jesus. But they killed him. Right. Okay. So in other words, if we're going to be called the sons of God, on the one hand, we think, oh, isn't that great? We get to live in the palace. <laughs> we get all, you know, you get to inherit all the money. No. Yeah. You take your place along the Son of God with the capital S. Yeah. And what did he say? If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Oh, yeah. Does that mean if you're, if you're the Son of God, that means you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, the, the, the highest Christians that we, when we rank our Christians, at the top of the list are the martyrs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and martyrdom in whatever form it takes, including asceticism. A lot of our monastics are, are not martyred, but they live lives of martyrdom in the sense that they sacrifice willingly. You know, Mary Beach for 47 years in the, in the desert and the other, uh, the saints, the, the great ascetics, they may not have been killed physically for their faith, but their life was given up to God. Yeah. St. Anthony. St. Anthony, perfect example. So, Father, yeah, take that a little step further and tell us, is it the role, the place, the aspiration of Christians who want to make that walk to aspire to martyrdom? Absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, really, that is the message of Revelation is um, it looks like the worst, stupidest thing you could do. Because like you said, that's our base instinct to survive. Yeah. You know, I, it always occurs to me, it's always striking to me like in a movie when like a family is going to attack or whatever, and then like the parents are killed and the kids like have the sense to run away. Like you'd think they would just collapse in their grief, but that, that instinct to survive is so deeply held in us. 
And so, yeah, I, I think I think Revelation is is the last. It's no accident. It's the last book of the Bible. It's sort of like it, it's what God wants to leave us with as sort of like reflecting on all of this. This is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Um, that that instinct to survive is so deeply ingrained in us for good reasons. But if we're going to really trust God, even our own life is second to our our faith in god and again i mean you're not seeing people who are just giving in to a life of despair and suffering are they suffering yes are they peaceful absolutely much more than any of us are <laughs> here we are every one of us right now is in some kind of climate controlled environment maybe you've got your windows open because it's comfortable but if it was too uncomfortable, you close windows, you turn on the air. Either way, we're in a relative comfort. Most of us have had something to eat today. If not, we are going to have it soon. That, that instinct is so ingrained in us. And yet we don't have the peace that the martyrs had. <laughs> and you're right, Rick. It's that peace. It passes understanding. It doesn't make any earthly sense. And that's why I think the church grew the most when, when the most martyrs were happening. In other words, when the church was most faithful. Faithful in, in the sense of showing it through their willingness to be martyred. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I know there's lots of martyrs over the, throughout the world right now, but they don't get any press. You know, they don't get any, <laughs> they don't make the headlines. Right. You know. Uh, George Floyd makes the headlines for being a martyr. Right. Yeah. And that, that's why if you ask, like, why is the church weak? Sociologists have all their, their theories, and there's a lot of, of truth to a lot of that. It all comes down to the Christians aren't all that convincing right now. Right. We're we, not. I mean, we're not. Right. And why aren't we? Because we're not. Even to Christians. We're to what? We're not. You know. You can I say it again, Susie? She said even to other Christians. Right. In other words, in other words, many may identify as Christians, and I and I know they do, um, but they don't necessarily grasp or fully accept or tolerate all the doctrines, let's say, yeah. or what or what they perceive as. You know, I, we've all talked about this, I think, of intolerance of the church, you know, because of these hot button issues in society and in our culture. Right. And they, I think, they see a lot of judgmentalism. And, um, and Father, you know, if you were to answer the question, are is our faith judgmental? No. Nope. Right. We're taught not to be. We are taught not to be. We know our God is the judge of all. Yeah. But if our, if our God is the judge of all, does that make our faith judgmental? No, because we don't join him as the judge. They are being, yeah. judged, except for, again, blessed are the peace, they shall be called sons of God. 
Jesus Christ is the judge, and, and the scriptures are clear why, because of his obedience to the Father, even to death. And then you go to Revelation. What does Revelation show us? That everybody goes through the horrors of all the things there. Everybody suffers, but only one group escapes the judgment. And those are the ones that endure the horrors of their martyrdom. Remember, they bathed their robes in the blood of the lamb. They, 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 they shed their blood. They endured their suffering. They're the ones that all they're doing is waiting for the end. They, they, what, what's the gospel read at the, at the uh, funeral service from the gospel of John? Those who believe do not come into judgment, pass from death to life. So not only are, are we all going to be judged unless we're martyrs, but the martyrs are the ones who their judgment was their martyrdom. I mean, they, they proved it, that they were witnesses to it by willing to make that ultimate sacrifice. Which if you ask them, they're going to tell you, what, what sacrifice? <laughs> what am I giving up? You know, <laughs> a few hours, a few days of, of suffering for eternity of heaven. How, is that, how am I losing anything? Father, there was a phrase that was, uh, if you remember a long time ago, there were five Christian missionaries who were martyred in um, um, Ecuador. And the statement that they made, because they, they didn't fight back, and the statement they made is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Wow. Say that again. He's no fool. That says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Speaking of his martyrdom, yeah, beautiful. You know that's that's how the gospel spread, typically. Right. Wow. Totally. People would take it to a place that already had a religion, right? This idea of no religion—that's a very new modern idea. And we can see how it's already been broken, you know, yeah. not to get political, but again, you can see how those that are denying religion the most keep repeating it, whether they choose to or not, the kneeling, the, the pictures with halos. Yeah. We're, we're, we are, we are, we're creating. We cannot not worship. We're just, the question is, is who? So anyway, they would arrive at a place a God would be there, they would preach a different God, and they would be killed. And then someone would watch it and go, wow, that person was willing to die for this false God. Maybe there's something to it. And it just took sometimes one wave, two waves, three waves, until enough people watched those martyrdoms and said, there's something going on here. Right. If you think about the Roman Empire, you, you have the most powerful force that the world had ever seen, so secure. And what was it taken down by? These people that wouldn't stop marching to their deaths in the, in the biggest arenas they could build. So it, it's the only thing that really, that really convinces people. But then you look how evil works, all right? The Antichrist is not the one that looks opposite of Christ. He looks like Christ. What was the evil of 9-11? Not just that people died or that 
it was a horrible day, all of those things are true. What was the deepest evil? How did that happen? How were all those people martyrs. killed? Martyrs. Martyrs. By martyrs. Right? Suicide. What yeah. do you call them? Um, suicide bombers. Suicide bombers. It's a mockery of, of martyrdom. Yeah. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like, well, they're dedicated to the cause. So it's 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 tricky. See, the, the thing is, the thing. The thing is, Father, I think we're we're going all around this, and it's all it's all good. But see, the thing is, with us Christians, not only do we have to be willing to sacrifice, like you say, but we have to pass on this concept of you can attain the peace that passes all understanding. People are looking for inner peace. People want peace in their lives. They don't want turmoil. Mm -hmm. But what they but they never hear from us, or they should hear from us more. Is that they can attain that peace right here, right now. How do you get it? It's a it's a great point, but how do you get the peace that passes all understanding? I, I think it's all wrapped up into the concept of put on Christ. Yes. And again, that's, I just and I think that's the most beautiful phrase in our faith. Put yeah. on Christ. Yes. Everyone who's baptized in Christ would put on Christ. We sing it, St. Paul's words that are baptism. And this is where, again, I don't want to, I don't, I, I know, I, I speak critically about our non-Orthodox brothers and sisters, but I do, yeah. it's important to, to highlight the differences. I don't see outside of Orthodoxy a preaching of a faith that suffers to achieve the peace. I don't see it. Now, maybe it's there and I just don't see it, but I don't, I don't either, but and let's criticize ourselves appropriately. We might have that faith. We don't live it. So I'm not saying we're better. Right. We should know better. Right. But I'm saying the hope that I see in orthodoxy is, is we are still holding on very tight to the idea of the only way to get peace is to follow, yes, the Prince of Peace, who came, he said, not to bring peace. In other words, we war. To get our peace we war with our, our passions we war with sin um we war with anyone who um would say to us there's another way to get that peace and so we're, we're and if people are preaching those things in other churches i thank god for their orthodoxy i'm not thank saying something out there i'm just saying what i see put out as as people's as these churches um what they're inviting people to do i see less and less sacrifice less and less warring with ourselves even but that's 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 how you get peace how do you have the peace of pasca without lent <laughs> father if we barely do it let's be honest we barely do it if we give up meat that's like the least thing we could do that the church says something right yeah. Follow the fast, you know, you go to forgive his vespers and you eat again Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna say, Susan? I I want to hang on a little to what you were saying about orthodoxy and the the suffering or the sacrifice. You know, I I um kind of am struck by the crucifix in our church 
and I'll compare it to the crucifix in, say, the Catholic Church and some others, and you have mentioned it, and we've studied it, that we don't emphasize Christ's death. On the cross. On the cross. We, we don't show him on the cross except during, uh, you know, Holy Week and so on, when, when you put him on the cross, Holy Thursday, and then take him down on, on uh, Holy Friday. But we're always looking to the resurrection. We're always looking to um, what, Rick? What? Well, I think it's, you know, it's, instead of the, the passion of Christ, which the Catholics emphasize, the, you know, the, the passion of it all, which is obvious, a passion. Instead of like delving into that and wallowing in that, we, we, we look toward the cross for redemption, but it's also a cross that we must carry, I think. That's the difference, honestly. I know people have yeah. said the Orthodox emphasize the resurrection, Catholics emphasize crucifixion. I really don't think that's the difference. Um, I, I think in certain forms of Catholicism, at certain places, for cultural reasons, I think the suffering of Jesus was sort of um, overemphasized. I've, I've mentioned before that when I spent time in Mexico, if I go to a new town and I saw a line to get into the church, I learned to predict that that was where there was a very grotesque statue of the crucified Christ. Yeah, right. Every time. It was just, well, the longer the line, the grosser the statue. But <laughs> I don't think the difference is, is so much that. I think the difference is, and I, I can't speak to Catholicism, I'm not obviously not Catholic. For Orthodoxy, the cross of Christ, we have to really get it. I was preaching about that on Sunday. We have to really get how bad that was. And yeah. how bad death is. But we move on to resurrection, not to say, okay, it didn't matter, but so that we can now go out and what you said, Rick, is it was so important to bear our cross. Right. That's where the cross of Christ, it has to be clearly seen. But you, if you keep looking only at that, I'm not saying anybody else says, I'm saying if we were to do that, fall to that temptation. You do so, and you're feeling bad about him, but you're not necessarily then saying, how do I pick up my cross? That's always going to be the key where Orthodox Christianity, wherever it's found, when, when it's found in Catholicism and other churches, Orthodox Christianity will always understand clearly the crucifixion of Christ, never without the resurrection, but then quickly go to what Jesus would always say, now go and do likewise. Yeah. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. So that's where I think the difference is, 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 well, I don't know if there's a difference, but that's, I think the orthodox understanding is get it all, but don't get it just to think about it and to feel bad about it. And isn't that terrible what happened to him? And yeah, we should really get it so that we go out and do it. That's, that's, that's the key. So I have a question. When would this, would the split have happened where the Orthodox goes down one road where they don't depict, you know, Christ on the cross so much and the Catholics, that's what they always do. I mean, I have a crucifix here. That yeah, we depict it. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that cross is so... It's got Jesus on it. Yeah. Typically, um, it's not that we don't depict him on the cross. It's that he doesn't need to be on the cross for us to understand what that meaning is. Because the cross is his cross, and it's also our cross. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we don't show him on that. We do. Um, every cross should remind us of the cross of Christ and what he did. 
Right. Where I would say we don't overemphasize. And again, I think I don't think it's a Catholic thing. I think it's a, a cultural thing where the Catholic Church happened to be, particularly in in the broke times in, in, in Europe, but in particularly in Latin America. I think there were cultural things that were going on that sort of combined to overemphasize those things. And I think in some ways they're even being corrected now. Well, the, the, the Protestant, the way I was raised, Baptist was, um, uh, they, um, it's, it's like, they, it's, a, it's, almost a, it's an idol to them because it's like they don't, they, they're portraying the, the crucified Christ and not the resurrected Christ. So they, an empty cross is what you would find in a, in a Protestant church. Right. And right. it was both. You both. Okay. Right. There again, it comes back to um, a criticism I, re I read of that uh, Catholicism maybe adds too much and Protestantism takes too much away. Does that make sense? In some things, I think that's fair to say. I don't think in general, but I think in some things, you, that's a generalization, but yeah. So I want to share a little story. I was doing a, a video for Calvin College some years ago, and they had, and they, and they wanted me to interview an uh, elderly uh, member of their community who I believe was a pastor, I'm not sure, but he was probably 90 some years old, very wise, very, you talk about peace, this man, he personified peace. And I'm interviewing him and he, it just everything he was saying is like pearls of wisdom, you know, just like very, 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 very base, I would call basic Christianity, you know. And I said, wow, it sounds so simple, you know. When he was saying, and he said, yes, simple, but infinitely complex. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what you got to remember. It is simple, but it is completely uh, beyond the grasp, really. Yeah. It's beyond understanding, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good stopping point. We did a whole verse. Uh -huh. We did a whole verse. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, honestly, why I say it doesn't matter how much. What's more important is how deep did we did we really get? And let's be honest, we could come back and spend weeks on this verse. Yeah. So anyway, well, thank you all. Welcome, John. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Bye, everybody. We'll see you this. See you this. See you this weekend, and see you tomorrow, Father. All right. Take care. Yeah.